This is Sovereign Debt, a podcast on greening the global economy and debt sustainability. I'm your host, Jill Doshi. I'm so excited to be able to introduce today's guest and to have this conversation. You've probably been reading quite a bit about uh, the IMF's Resilience and Sustainability Trust and wondering what exactly is it? And how did this come about and what is it going to do? And today's guest, I hope, <laughs> I think, can, can give us all of the answers. Yenlu is Deputy General Counsel of the IMF and has worked at the fund for over 20 years. We met several years ago and really bonded uh, when we were working on a sovereign debt handbook for the African Legal Support Facility. And we were locked in a hotel in Oxford for a week (laughs) to produce the handbook. Jen, thank you so much for being with us here today. It's really a pleasure. Jill, thank you very much for really having me. I'm really a big fan of your podcast and found it very informative. So it is a great pleasure to be here. Thank you. And I know your time is very precious and we are all very, very busy these days. So I'm going to try to keep us to hopefully 30 minutes, but if you've been a listener to the podcast, you know that we often blow right through that and and are trying to keep to the hour mark, but we're going to try to keep this as concise as possible. So to do that, let's just jump right in. Right before the spring meetings of the World Bank and IMF in April, the board of the IMF approved the creation of the Resilience and Sustainability Trust. Can you first, just for all of us, just Tell us a little bit what the vision was and what the motivation was behind the RST. Yeah, sure. Um, The world is really facing many pressing challenges from the pandemic, climate change, spillovers from geopolitical shocks, um, digitalization, changing demographics, just to name a few. So all these challenges pose an enormous impediment for a balance of payment stability and also resilient and sustainable growth, especially for low-income countries and vulnerable middle-income countries. And the pandemic squeezed this country's financial and policy buffers even more. And many of them now are facing food and energy shocks. So the question uh, for the international community is how to help these countries to fight against um, the pandemic but also to meet the longer term structural challenges. So I need to take a step back. Um, As you know, last August, the IMF made the largest allocation of special drawing rights or SDRs in history. It's about $650 billion. It was an important part of the IMF's response to the pandemic by supplementing Uh, our member countries' foreign exchange reserves and enabling them to reduce uh, their reliance on more expensive domestic or external uh, debt for building reserves. At the time of uh, SDR allocation, many recipient countries with strong external positions expressed interest in voluntarily channeling part of their SDR allocations to support recoveries in poor and vulnerable countries. Because the the way the SDRs are allocated is that it actually goes to 
the wealthier countries. So even though there was this big gesture in the allocation of the SDRs, the, the nature of the SDR is that they are created according to one's quotas. So the larger or the countries with the larger GDPs get the larger allocations. So advanced economies receive the largest share, uh, about 58%. Okay. So um, I think you're absolutely right on that. Um, I, I also want to say that uh, this is actually not new, meaning the rechanneling uh, of SDRs. Um, they have done that in the past, have historically used some of their SDR holdings to help countries in need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they asked the IMF to explore options to channel SDRs so as to amplify the effect of SDR allocation this time around. Right. We looked at several options, including scaling up the existing PRGT, you know, as you know, a trust to help low-income countries. But after much discussion and consultations with stakeholders, setting up a new trust at IMF gained broad support. That is the Resilience and Sustainability Trust, or we call RST. Maybe I just touch upon very briefly the objectives of uh, the RST. The RST's central objective is to support countries to tackle longer-term structural challenges through affordable longer-term financing and also policy reforms. It aims to help uh, augment policy space and financial buffers to mitigate macro-critical risks associated with those structural challenges and also boost policy space. As we all know, addressing these challenges requires front-loading measures, right, that has immediate fiscal cost and also may uh, may lead to debt buildup and fiscal vulnerabilities over the short and medium term. But the benefits would take much longer to materialize. So what we're saying is that there are actually these long-term issues, such as climate change, pandemics, you know, other kind of development needs, perhaps, that aren't solved in an immediate program or, or something else. And so, so this is really kind of breaking new ground for the IMF and that you're normally kind of coming into a situation to kind of stabilize an emergency situation or BOP crisis. And this one is looking at kind of these longer structural things that are going to cost a lot right now in the upfront, but will benefit the stability longer term, correct? Our existing lending toolkit really focused on addressing short to medium term balance of payment needs, right? You know, we have this extended, you know, fund facilities. Actually, it also covers structural uh, changes. But I think the challenges we're talking about here are much longer even than that, right? It takes, you know, 10 years, maybe 20 years to do it. I think you're absolutely right. You have to invest so much now, but you won't see the benefits, you know, many years later. So in this process, this affordable, uh, lower cost lending will really help countries address this much longer term structural challenges. We also recognize the financing for RST is not enough. You do need more. So we're also hoping um, that the policy reforms undertaken by countries can uh, catalyze 
lending from other sources, from other private creditors or from the uh, other, you know, bilateral, multilateral, you know, um, lending institutions. Uh, maybe even can um, catalyze uh, green financing, right? So I think this is a, a bit, I would say, catalytical role played by uh, RST financing. Okay. And then who is eligible for these longer term loans? Like how is eligibility determined? I mean, you know, the headline numbers are that 75% of the IMF membership is now eligible. So and that's based on some sort of income eligibility or is there an application or how how was how that developed and, and how is that going to work? Yeah, sure. That's a very good question. So RST is targeted at low-income countries, vulnerable middle-income countries, and small states because they face higher risks um, to uh, prospective balance payment uh, stability. Um, so we analyzed a range of methodologies to um, define PRGT eligibility and eventually decided to use a combination of uh, per capita income test. This is using the IDA operational cutoff as the base and also the population size to capture small states. And we thought this combination is most appropriate uh, metrics. And this also helped balance the resource constraints and also um, achieving a broad as possible you know, channeling of SDRs and also looking at the, um, the challenges facing by all these countries. And um, I have to say this uh, metrics are also used for determining eligibility for the poverty uh, reduction or growth trust as well. This is another trust that we have. Um, so I won't get into the specifics. So we do have a formula to, to look at that. So based on this metrics, about three quarters of the IMF's membership, to be very precise, as you mentioned, it's 143 countries were determined by the IMF executive board to be eligible initially, right? This is the outset of this trust. Um, and eligibility will be reviewed periodically and more countries can be added to the list. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily include any metric for vulnerability to climate change, for instance, or other you know, kind of specific environmental, like ecosystem importance or anything like this. This is a purely an ink. The first hurdle is an income test, so per capita income. It's a combination of both uh, per capita income and population. Yeah, I think that actually um, brings me back to um, the objective. As you know, you know, we talk about the objective of this trust, uh, but the board uh, really determined two, we call qualifying structural uh, challenges. One is the climate. The other is the uh, pandemic preparedness. So they identify two for now. But in determining the eligibility, we don't take into consideration the climate or environmental, you know, specific issues into consideration. Yeah. So it's re- it's really about kind of need and in, in terms of resources. Yeah, we're targeting at the group, right, rather than sort of like individual country just based on its climate challenges per se. No, and, the, and then the countries have to be, as far as I understand, in an IMF program or 
Exactly. So the RST uh, really complements our existing, you know, lending facilities, but it doesn't lend on its own. So it is almost like a top up, right, on our traditional lending. So that means that when we uh, disperse RST resources, the qualifying member or eligible member, so I'm going to talk about qualification, the eligible member must have a concurrent arrangement or we call IMF supported program under the existing facilities. So to answer your other question about application, indeed, uh, the country needs to uh, make a request for um, an arrangement under the RSF. Um, but when they do that, they also have to meet certain qualification uh, requirements. So there are three uh, qualification uh, criteria. The first one is that the authorities need to propose a set of high quality reform measures to address the structural challenges. Ideally, this country already you know, designed them um, in coordination maybe with other stakeholders and they're already implementing. Um, but if they don't, we do need to engage them to agree on a set of policy but measures. that's not necessarily kind of when we think about kind of the green finance and sustainable debt, we're not talking about projects. We're not saying, oh, we want to fund this project. It's it's truly reform measures. So this is something that they would be kind of a deeper program of development of what they're wanting to fund. Exactly. Because uh, the RST financing is a policy-based. It's not specific project-based financing, right? We can talk a little bit more about conditionality, right? What kind of measures are we talking about? I can give you a couple of examples as well. Maybe I'll just go through the qualification. Yeah, the qualifications. So that's the first one. The second one, as I just uh, uh, noted, um, the RST borrowing requires a concurrent program supported by IMF's traditional or existing uh, facility. Um, the purpose of this requirement is really uh, several fold. First, also, as I mentioned, RST complements the existing toolkit and uh, prevent facility shopping. And second is really to help ensure a stable macroeconomic environment in order to allow this policy reform to be very effective and also support the catalytical role that I just mentioned um, um, that's the RST lending place. So generally about 18 months is required to be left in this concurrent program. But if a country doesn't have an existing arrangement, then you need to you know, request another concurrent arrangement. For example, under standby arrangement or an, another facility, but 18 months is the requirement. But that's, is that at the moment of contracting the first loan through the RST? So, I mean, because if the lending is 10 or 20 years, it's longer term, do I have to be in an IMF program for the next 20 years? It's just in the beginning. Yeah, so the RST arrangement is only about 18 months, you know, um, at least 18 months. Um, the, when we talk about 20 years, we're talking about repayment period, the maturity period. It's not the program is 20 years, right? So the maturity is 20 years uh, with 10 and a half years of grace period. But the program, you know, uh, RST supported program is much shorter. And also the financing will be dispersed in trenches. But 
upon approval of an arrangement RST, you don't get any financing because we do need to see a bit the implementation you know, of your uh, policy commitment. So no financing will be dispersed, at least under the RST. You can get financing under standby arrangement you know, on other things, but not on RST. Um, and um, the, finally, um, the standard IMF lending safeguards would apply. For instance, debt sustainability, you know, under our policy, as you know very well, we cannot lend if a member's uh, debt is ass assessed to be unsustainable. Also, the capacity to repay requirement is also applies, you know, to uh, RST. So that is the, the qualification uh, requirement. So there's eligibility qualification requirements. Right. So if I've jumped the hurdles and I'm eligible and I, I fit the criteria and I'm in an IMF program and my debt has already either been put on a sustainable path or always was sustainable uh, or determined to be sustainable. And I feel that like, oh, my, my country, I've got these before measures that need to be kind of much more longer term, much more structural than I would apply and say, I would like to apply for this assistance through the RST. And then there's a program period that is usually is concurrent with my IMF program where, and we'll get to this, the conditionalities that would be applied, but the IMF would be dispersing kind of the loan to me over 18 months, you say, and then the repayment or, or something. So yeah, about 18 months and could be, yeah, could be longer. Yeah. Okay. And then we got the 10 year grace period and, and longer repayment period. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've got the basics down. Yeah. <laughs> so this, so what are the conditions? Okay. So now tell, we me, get, tell me the hard part. Yeah. Now we get to this famous conditionality, right? So exactly. um, I think, the, uh, basically, the conditionality in the strict sense will take the form of reviews by the executive board assessing the implementation of reform measures that we just mentioned. And very similar to our standard structural conditionality, you know, under the typical IMF supported program, uh, reform measure under the RST program could be a single policy action or could be a set of very closely related, you know, uh, actions. So just to uh, give you an example, the reform measures could include for approving a national adaptation plan. And this plan needs to identify climate vulnerabilities and also solutions. Or the measure could be uh, issuing regulations or carbon pricing uh, policy, right? So it's very, uh, specific, specific is very detailed and uh, really designed to address the longer-term structural challenges. So in designing this um, uh, reform measure, we really need to uh, coordinate with other financial institutions. For example, World Bank, you know, we're conducting a country uh, assessment, right? So climate uh, assessment. So we do need to consult with them in terms of how to design the appropriate reform measures so as to also help catalyze additional financing. Um, I, I also want to stress that um, the reform measures under the RST arrangement um, will be spec uh, specified separately 
from the conditionality under the concurrent IMF support program. So there are two separate sets. However, there could be cases where maybe one policy measure will be relevant for both, right? So even you're saying this is a longer term, but it could still help achieve the objectives of our, for example, standby arrangement, and which means helping to address the underlying BOP problems now. So in that case, um, the reform measure will be included in both programs. So in other words, the uh, program under RST and the program under the concurrent you know, uh, program, they need to stand on their own. But yet there might be some... There may be linkages. There may the be linkages or overlapping. Yeah, but, but they, they need to be justified on its own. But if you go off track, sorry, just if, if you think of down the downside yeah, kind of scenario, yeah, yeah. you could go off track on your IMF program and that would jeopardize everything, I imagine. But could you but if you go off track on your IST, but if you were still current on your IMF program? Excellent question, because we spent a lot of time <laughs> looking really at this linkages, you know, between these two programs, right? It's not that easy because it's a kind of a pop on. They're linked, but at the same time, they operate, you know, differently. Um, so um, the RST operations, as I mentioned, are designed to run in parallel, right, with the current program. So an RSF or RST review would take place at the same time as the review under the concurrent program to ensure the uh, concurrent program will be on track and benefits really from the synergy. So in a way, it's one directional. So if, if there's a slippage on the RSF side or RST side, it will not really affect the accompanying program. But the delays, in the, for example, in a review under let's say, a standby arrangement, that would really affect the completion of the review of the under the RST. If I'm under my RST program and the conditionality there is, as you were saying, kind of adopting this policy, some carbon policy, and I didn't get it done, right? I just kind of, it turned out to be harder, it's stuck in parliament or whatever, the rest of my IMF program, assuming that wasn't one of my conditions in my IMF program, could keep ticking along. Exactly. But I could stumble and kind of have to sit down and have a more difficult review on the RST. Yeah. So you delay, you could delay the RST review until you finish the measure in the lay person work, you just skip that review, right? So you continue implementing when you're done, then you basically uh, have sort of, for lack of a better word, combined review at the next one. Right. Now, is this going to be the same mission and just different teams or is this, or, or we haven't really figured that out yet? Yeah, we haven't really discussed in detail about that. Um, but I would think that, you know, for the efficiency purposes, you know, you may want to have like, you know, one mission covering all these issues. Of course, you need to bring experts, right, you know, to the team. But I have to say, we haven't really discussed sort of the detail, but we did recognize the IST part does require special expertise. And also, as I mentioned, a very close collaboration with other institutions. 
Okay. And then the borrowing, coming back to kind of the proceeds of the, of the loan that I would get under the RST, that is free uh, use of proceeds in the sense of it's just general support. I mean, passing legislation, for instance, and to use to stick with that same example doesn't, you know, so I, I could be using using that money. You I have to obviously use it properly and and well in my budget, but it's not ring fenced for any particular going back to my other question earlier, it's not for a particular project. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Of course, as you mentioned, you know, the process must be used consistent with the objectives, right? We have a trust, we set up a trust, so we have a trust instrument. Article one of the instrument specifies, like, you know, um, how you, you can use the proceeds. So you have to be consistent with that, right? And I think you're getting to the point that whether we can earmark, right, um, the, the resources. No, we cannot. And it can be used for the general budget, you know, uh, support. Uh, for, for instance, just, you know, it's provided really as a liquid and fungible balance of payment support. So as long as you use the money in a way that consistent with the purpose, you know, with the uh, um, the provisions of the trust. And when and when you were talking about this money being catalytic for bringing in private sector and things, is your thinking really just because you're improving the environment uh, in the country and there's more kind of engagement and scrutiny and monitoring going on, or is there actual some linkage of okay, we're going to provide this money and and it is either expected that the government will or the private sector is going to match it in some way or or is that still kind of being considered? And uh, All I can say is that we really hope our lending will uh, catalyze the financing for others, but it's not a requirement. You know what I mean? It's not like as a condition for us to provide RST financing, we need contributions from the private sector, from other institutions. And we really hope that um, the policy reforms, you know, accompanied by monitoring, also accompanied by concurrent program to address the balanced payment vulnerabilities, right, for the short and medium term, all this to get as a package, will really send not only a strong signal, you know, to uh, other stakeholders that the country is implementing the right policy and is committed, right, to implementing the longer term sort of policies, or at least committed to um, meeting the challenges um, and um, give some confidence, right, to um, the other uh, institutions or stakeholders to really help this country. Because we do recognize, you know, we haven't talked about the access level, but the money is not a lot and the country really need much more in order to really tackle those challenges. Um, maybe I will just also quickly mention that, uh, as you know, we have precautionary arrangements, meaning country requests the arrangement, but they don't draw under it, right? But this one, we really expect all the arrangements to be drawing arrangements, meaning you cannot use it on a precautionary basis. And then in terms of timing and you're hoping that by October that this is going to become operational. When we say that, does that mean we are you're already in discussions with some countries and and kind of launching it in November or October? Or does that mean 
you're going to start reviewing applications in October. Right now, we expect the RSP to be operational um, on the condition that we really receive a critical mass <laughs> of uh, contributions, right? Where SDR, volunteer SDR contributions from our countries. Um, I think, you know, us with our any of our lending facility, of course, we don't want to create a facility without any interest from countries. So we have to get a sense whether there's any interest where, you know, in using this facility. So in that context, yes, we do get, you know, we, we did consult, you know, our member countries and also, you know, sense their interest. And I think that process will be ongoing. Um, as to whether we can um, really sort of, uh, um, you know, uh, approve a, a arrangement right away, I think that yet to be seen because after you know, we couldn't uh, really uh, to front run, you know, the whole process, for example, allow country to apply because the trust existed, but there's no money, right? So we have to wait until it becomes operational. Then we can, you know, start the process. Yeah. So first you have to get it all up, then you have to get the money actually in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, but, but it doesn't mean that we couldn't really do a lot of preparation work, right? Or, you know, like we're saying, testing. You ask a very good question about missions. You know, we can think about all these issues um, before it becomes operational. And the countries that are contributing, the, the, the wealthier countries that are saying, okay, we'd like to reallocate our SDRs into this RST, do they have any say in either where the money is going to, which countries, priorities, or the programs, or they've just kind of outsourced all of that to the IMF? Yeah, yeah. I think at least as of, of now, um, they entrusted the fund, right? We're the trustee. The, executive, the fund is the trustee of the fund. Of course, they need to uh, agree to the, for example, the trust instruments, right? Um, that's established the trust, which defines all the features. Um, I think we gave them, I can only say we gave them a lot of safeguards. For, for example, you know, if you add more um, uh, um, qualifying sort of challenges or events that could be covered by the trust, we do need to get their consent. So there are certain safeguards built in to protect the contributors. But at the same time, if they the trustee has also a lot of uh, uh, authority and power to manage the trust based on the trust instrument, which they already agreed to. So it is, a, uh, it's, I guess it's a combination, right? So um, the protection plus the authority. So it is not like they can dictate us saying that, oh, regardless what you have in the uh, trust instrument, I only want you to lend to a specific country. They can't do that. Will there be a limit of how many countries can come forward in a particular, like if you have a flood of countries, I, I suppose it'll just be the amount of the resources in the trust. Yeah, there's no limit on uh, how many countries can come, but we use uh, the access limits, right, to, for lack of better words, to ensure the proper allocation among all the countries in need. Um, so the the there's a cap on the uh, um, RSP resources, which is the lower of 150% of a member's quota or SDR 1 billion. 
And of course, the the access will be guided by an access norm. Norm is just a guidance; it's not a actual ceiling or anything, uh, which is seventy five percent of a country's quota. So whenever you go above or go under, you also be guided by a set of factors like the strength of their uh, policy reform, their ability to um, repay the fund, their any direct short to medium term balance payment needs arising from the measures, the corresponding uh, uh, policy reforms. So there are a bunch of factors we have to take into account when we deciding a specific country's access level. And then the last question, because I, and this is kind of my favorite, but I think we've already touched on it, but in terms of debt sustainability, it's because we ha- the country would already have to be in an IMF program, if their debt was determined to be unsustainable, it would have already had to been addressed or gone through the you know, financing assurances, same sort of process for the IMF program. With the same sort of policies around arrears and all of that, like so if I'm if I'm getting into my IMF program and I'm still doing my debt restructuring, I could you know, if I'm if I'm on if I'm in that IMF program, I'm free to go on the RST. Right. So I think that's why we require concurrent, you know, uh, IMF program. So a lot of these policies, you know, not a lot of all of the policy actually you mentioned would apply to that program already. So, you know, you don't really need to sort of apply separately because they're work, working together, right? As I said, you know, RST is more, for lack of a better word, is really the additional resources on top of the uh, IMF um, supporting program under the traditional, for lack of a better word, traditional facilities. So they do apply, but you don't need to assess really under this one. Again, to, to, to keep to my promise about the time, I want to say, you know, thank you so much for, for coming here today and to explaining this RST. We're all very excited about this development and, um, you know, we look forward to October to seeing it in operation and kind of seeing the benefit to, to countries. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Really my pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts.